All right, we're kind of a spread out group today. It's like, all right, might have to walk around in here and do the talk. That way, that might be easier, huh? Um, anyway, uh, yeah, expect the unexpected. That's sort of our, that's our overall theme for the Advent season. And I like Advent because it is the time of kind of preparation, getting ready for Christmas. Uh, on the one hand, it is like sort of mentally and spiritually focusing our attention, anticipating the birth of Christ. If we're a person who's been a follower of Jesus for a while, we know that that's a part of who we are. It's, we've already kind of experienced the coming and birth of Jesus into our life. If we're not there yet, that's part of that anticipation of wondering, what is that like? What if I do invite God to have a more personal relationship with who I am? We think about all those things. It's also anticipating uh, what's going to happen at Christmas time and what happens around your home, not on the spiritual side, but like in my house, in my garage, uh, we have like these large racks of stuff, and they're, they're like these metal frame racks. They're called Gorilla Racks. I know that because I have so many that I think the company just said, you know, you know, he could like almost work for us. We have that many in our house. But on those racks, they're like just stacked with boxes and boxes of, I don't even know what all's in there. But I mean, there's just stuff in there. And, uh, you know, anybody else like that just have boxes and boxes of, I don't know what's in their stuff. Anyway, but we do have a section, and it's a pretty large section of boxes. And in that large section of boxes, those boxes are marked Christmas right? And, and those are the things that, they're either those big plastic tubs that are full of ornaments or garland or special tablecloths or decorations that you put around your house. It sounds like I don't like this. I mean, I really do like that, but, you know, there's just a lot of it. And, and I, I was talking to my wife this week, and she called and she said, you know, we have these strings of lights, and we have like these five special strands of lights that we have, and she plugged them in, and only one of the five was working. You know what I'm talking about? Like where you get that out and you're like putting it around the tree, and don't ever do this. I did this with my daughter, and we started doing wrapping the, you know, the lights all around the tree, got it all, then we plugged it in. That was a, that was a bad mistake. Don't ever do, got to always test everything. But I don't think those things that are in the boxes are anticipating and thinking, wow, it's almost Christmas time. No, they're just in box, they're just stuff. And sometimes for people, as they look at Christmas, it's, they're not anticipating anything from God. It's kind of just about stuff. It's just about shopping and Black Friday and Monday and on and on and on until they celebrate and whatever that is. And it can be, for us, it's easy to become all about the stuff or the events that are happening rather than the relational part of who God is. And, you know, years and years ago, in fact, centuries ago, kind of eons of centuries ago, there were these prophets that walked the earth. They were real people. They were flesh and blood people just like we are. And God, in this incredible way, spoke truth into their lives so that they could speak truth into the world. And at that point, he was speaking about what he was going to do in his plan for humankind. And God was thinking about us in the process, because God thinks about each person that he's creating. But he spoke through these prophets who, one, spoke about what was going to happen in the future. They also gave direction to what was happening in the present for them, but they also 
God revealed some things in that time. I'd hate for us to miss that. I'd hate for us to miss that at this Advent season, there is this heightened expectancy of God doing things in your life and in mine. Because God is a God of doing unexpected things in our lives. Why don't I just pray for a moment and then we'll jump in. Jesus It's easy sometimes for us to expect just the normal, everyday, traditional, run-of-the-mill, this-is-my-life kind of attitude. And Jesus, today, would you just not do that with us? If we need to be sort of jarred out of our own complacency today, would you jar us? If you need to take us a little bit and speak words that are hope, Words that are the consummation of your prophetic word in those prophets years ago. Jesus, would you speak those kind of words into our life that show you to be real and true and substantial, that remind us that we belong to you? So God, today, just speak into us, we pray. Amen. Does anybody know what this is? Maybe kind of hard to see out there. I'd, I'd throw it at you, but I don't want to get, you know. Okay, yeah, yeah, okay, yeah, it's a magic eight ball. And, and uh, it, it's, um, it's smaller than the one I grew up with. So like maybe they're, you know, how like as time marches on, things kind of get smaller, like candy bars and stuff. Like what, what's up with that? Anyway, so this, this is actually a magic eight ball, and I was excited about it. I didn't, I didn't get it until this morning, this one, uh, but the one I had was a little bit bigger, um, and the one I had, you, you turned it over. You never opened it up, but you turned it over, and, uh, and when you turned it over, this, these little, whatever it was in there, floated to the reading part of the deal, and you could ask it questions. You know, you'd ask it all kinds of stuff, right? And, uh, you know, maybe... maybe um, you know, is there, is there, you know, hope in my future? Is there whatever it is? Um, a- anyway, but you'd ask it questions. This one, you sort of punch this thing right here, and then, and then an answer comes up at the bottom. So I thought, well, maybe we should try something. I thought, well, should this sermon be more than 30 minutes? Should we try that? Well, let's, let's try it. You know, I can't even read it, but I think it says, yes, that's okay, go ahead, just keep on <laughs> preaching, something like that. No, anyway, so, um, but the Magic 8-Ball, the Magic 8-Ball is kind of amazing because you, you just ask it kind of questions, and, and uh, you're hoping that it'll just give you pretty concise, because you can only fit so much on the bottom of a Magic 8-Ball, that you could get you pretty concise answers to your questions. You're not really asking for a dissertation you're really asking for a confirmation, and if you don't get it, you just shake it over again and try it right. I mean, that's kind of that's the way we do the magic eight ball. But lots of people in life are hoping for something to happen in their life. They're hoping that something will happen in their life. Your life and my life, we're hoping that some things happen in our life. And, and uh, people would love to have a breakthrough in their life. They'd love to have an area of breakthrough in their life, no matter what that is, no matter what situation that is, relationship that is, 
job that is, kids, whatever, they'd love to have a breakthrough in their life. And yet for a lot of people, it's a little bit like the magic eight ball. They want that breakthrough, but it's kind of like wishful thinking or random choice, perhaps even kind of casual optimism as they face life. And they really have no real connection with what God is doing and God's design. That's kind of the magic eight ball way to live life. Just kind of, I hope, maybe, I'm optimistic, could be. And life sort of just flows that way for them without really connecting with God. Well, I'd like today to consider something a little less than casual or random or superficial by taking a closer look at God's kind of unfolding design through Jesus, his son. And and I'd like to begin by kind of looking at what the prophets were talking about because this first Sunday at Advent is about the prophetic in history with God. And it's about hope. So can I trust the Bible? Can I trust the prophecies that are explained and expressed in the Bible? Can I, can I trust them to actually be true? Did anything that the Bible says actually exist or come true? People have questions. We have questions like that. Those are legit questions to ask. Did Jesus fulfill any of the prophecies that were spoken about him? Or about the Messiah? Was Jesus the Messiah according to those prophecies as they began to be fulfilled in his life? Were they fulfilled? Did he complete them? Great questions. So what what is prophecy? And how does Jesus fit into that picture of God? Well, what is prophecy? Isaiah 48.2 says this from the prophet Isaiah. The prophet Isaiah wrote this, I foretold the former things long ago. My mouth announced them, and I made them known. Then suddenly, I acted, and they came to pass. I foretold, and then I acted, and then they came to pass. That's what Isaiah says. He goes on a little bit longer, a little bit later on that same section in Isaiah 48, and he says, Therefore, I told you these things long ago. Before they happened, I announced them to you so that you could not say, My idol did, my idol did them. My wooden image, my metal God ordained them. I like that about Isaiah. Isaiah is clarifying for folks around him that things just don't happen because we have a wooden image or a graven image or some statue. No, they're somehow coming out of Isaiah's mouth and wisdom from a different place. Isn't fulfilled prophecy, let me give a couple questions, isn't fulfilled prophecy just a guess or luck or a coincidence? Don't things that happen in Scripture that were, you know, prophesied years and years ago, they just kind of came to pass? It's just sort of a coincidence. It just sort of fell in, kind of lucked out in the process. 2 Peter 1, 19 and 20 says this, And we have the word of the prophets made more certain. And you will do well to pay attention to it, 
as to a light shining in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. Above all, you must understand that no prophecy of Scripture came about by the prophet's own interpretation. For prophecy never had its origin in the will of a man. But men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. Did you catch that? Just like Isaiah, it's being reinforced in the New Testament through Peter's writings that the prophetic words that came through the prophets came not from their own wisdom or thinking or writing, but came as they were moved from the power of God as God spoke through their lives. He spoke His Word through their lives. Does the Old Testament contain any prophecies about the Messiah? In other words, this was the Old Testament writers were hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years before things were going to happen in the New Testament. It wasn't just like it happened yesterday. No, these were hundreds and hundreds of years before words were given, spoken by God through the prophets and recorded. And we have those in Scripture in the Old Testament. But does the Old Testament contain any prophecies about Jesus and the Messiah? Well, yes. In the Old Testament, there are about probably over 420 prophecies about who Jesus is and who the Messiah is. I mean, we're not talking a couple and Jesus lucked out and made connections here. No, distinct prophecies. You know, I'm told that the Hubble telescope, which is one of our larger space telescopes that looks into the depths of space, I'm told that the Hubble telescope is so powerful that if the Hubble telescope were to be set up in New York, and if it were to be pointed toward California, say California is over there. So the Hubble telescope in New York pointed toward California, And if it was possible for the Hubble telescope to be pointed all the way and and with nothing in the way and be able to look all the way over here to California, and we were to hold a dime up in California, you could read what's on the dime. Wow. Sometimes our perspective is so limited when it comes to God's perspective. God's perspective is so expansive when it comes to history. And not just the history of the prophets and hundreds of years and then the fulfillment of the prophecies, but beyond those prophecies, what is God doing beyond that? And that if, if a telescope that's man-made can do something like astounding like that, what can God do? What can God do in your life and in my life when we just have a limited perspective as how we see ourselves? When I see myself, I see myself with my limitations, which is probably a good thing sometimes, (laughs) but I see limitations. When God looks at your life and my life, He understands the limitations, but He also understands the expectations the anticipations, the more, what's coming, the future, who you are, who you could be. God has a much clearer picture 
more than casual. Some people think that maybe God's just sort of casual in the events of human history, kind of just let the chips fall where they may kind of attitude. I'll set the world into motion, sort of the big bang idea. I'll sort of set the world into motion, God says, and just let it go and see where it goes. Some people have kind of a random concept about God or just a random concept without God. Just, a ra- it just things are spinning. I'm just glad I'm on the earth. If God is random, and what if he is? What if God is random? What if God is just letting it just fly along and go? If that were the case, then the prophecies really don't make that much sense. There's no impact to them. They really don't have any bearing on how you live your life or how I live my life. But what if they aren't random? What if God is a God of design? What if God does care about the details? What if God does want his word spoken hundreds of years uh, earlier and he wants it to be fulfilled in his son over here? And there's a purpose between what's happening in those prophecies and what happens to the son and what the son came to do in the world. What if God isn't random? What if God is very, very carefully planned through the design of history and our lives? What if God is watching and involved in what's going on in the world? Hmm. Random, casual, or design. Here, just uh, just let me give you a few few, uh, prophecies about the Messiah that are fulfilled in Scripture. Just, I don't know how anyone could think that Jesus could just stumble into being this person, but we do. Many people do. In Micah, Mike talked about the Messiah being born in Bethlehem. Where was Jesus born? Bethlehem was the answer to that one. Okay. All right, good. (laughs) Just checking. I'm not alone in this room. Okay, good. Um, um, that (laughs) That he would be from Nazareth. That comes from Isaiah chapter 11, that he was descended from Judah, Genesis 40, that he's a descendant of David from 2 Samuel 7, that no bones were broken in his body. We know that on the crucifixion piece. That comes from Exodus 12, that he was to be called a king from Psalms 2, that 30 pieces of silver would be used to to buy a field. That was spoken in the Old Testament. It was something that, that Judas did. That comes from Zechariah 11 that he would be born of a virgin from Isaiah 7 and on and on, not even speaking about the miracles of Jesus, the predictions of his own death and resurrection. Those are just a couple. Those are just a few of those things, those prophetic words. I read this about hope because not only is the first Sunday of Advent about the prophetic word, it's the word of hope living without hope. Man can live about 40 days without food, about three days without water, about eight minutes without air, but about one second without hope. We can't live without hope. Jesus didn't come into the world to complete prophecies, but to bring hope. As impressive as the prophecy fulfillments are for Jesus, And they substantiate much of who he is as God's son. He didn't come to complete prophecies. He came to bring hope. Aren't you glad that he came to bring hope into your life? Wow. 
Jesus, the hope of the world. It says in Romans 15, 3 through 7, For Christ did not please himself, but as it is written, the reproaches of those who reproached you fell on me. For whatever was written in former days was written for our instruction and through endurance and through the encouragement of the Scriptures that we might have hope. That's kind of a mouthful, but isn't that great? Another translation says this, for everything that was written in the past was written to teach us so that through endurance and encouragement of the Scriptures, we might have hope. We find hope in the written Word of Scripture. God planned it that way. When we're without hope, go to Scripture because there's hope there. God designed it that way. When someone has a word from God from you or you need to be around a godly person, they may speak a word that they've memorized from Scripture, a thought from Scripture because they're bringing hope to you because that's what Scripture does. Scripture brings hope to hopeless people, to helpless people, to all people, to hopeful people. Surround yourself with Scripture and hope will be born in you. What is life without hope? Well, sometimes we, we, we cling to hope. Sometimes we cling hard to hope. We have a, we have a, a great sense of um, stability in our hope. We feel good about the hope we have in God. We're secure in that hope, we might say. But there are other times in our life where we're barely hanging on to hope, where things are overwhelming in our life. We need more hope than we have. We look to others to provide a resource of coming alongside to help bring hope to us. So whether we're strong in our hope or whether we're a bit weak in our hope, we need hope. Life without hope is meaningless in so many ways. A person whose life is hopeless is a devastating place to be. I read this story some time ago. It's an older story. It's about a, a girl named Anne who was the daughter of Irish immigrant farmers some years and years ago. And she had one brother named Jimmy who was crippled from tuberculosis. And growing up, Anne was subject to poverty and physical abuse by her alcoholic father. And at the age of five, trachoma struck Anne, leaving her almost blind. And two years later, her mother died and her father abandoned the children to an orphanage in England. She was a hopeless case. That's what the Boston Medical Institution said of her. She was such an extreme case, an incredibly violent little girl, that they wound up locking her in a cage and they placed her in the basement of the institution. But there was an elderly nurse who believed that there was hope for this little girl. And the nurse began to eat her lunch beside Anne's cage, simple gestures of love toward this little girl. The nurse began leaving brownies for Anne. And over time, this incredible, remarkable progress started to happen where Anne began to change because somebody had hope and love for her. And the doctors finally brought Anne out of the cage and upstairs and into life again. 
She was no longer a hopeless case. But as she grew, she determined to help other people. She determined that her life was to help other people. This hopeless case was one about helping to bring hope to others. And it wasn't just anybody that she wanted to to help. She wanted to help those who were hopeless. And so she set about to help another hopeless case, a little girl who was blind and deaf and mute. And that little girl was Helen Keller. Sometimes we need help when we're hopeless. We need people that will stand with us and hope for us. What does hope in Christ bring about for us? I love what Hebrews 1, 1 through 3 says, In the past God spoke to our ancestors through the prophets at many times and in various ways. But in these last days, but in these last days, he has spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed heir of all things, and through whom, and through whom he made the universe. Jesus speaks into our lives the lives of the, 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 the words of the promises of God for us. The promises of hope in him. It teaches us that we're never alone. That hope stabilizes a believing person. It produces patience in trials. Hope motivates godly living. It inspires joyful confidence in us. That's what hope does. Hope is associated with victory and not defeat. To be filled with hope is to be filled with joy, the joy of God. Years ago, when I was in seminary, and I was in Los Angeles, and I volunteered at a church in downtown inner city L.A., and I loved going there, and I loved being there. It was a kind of a smaller group of people, uh, and you were either over 65 and white, or you were under 20 and either Mexican-American or African-American, and there wasn't anything really much in the middle of that. But I had a friend who was there, his name is John, and John was a college student at USC at the time. He was on full academic scholarship. He turned down a full athletic scholarship to UCLA. This is a strapping, great, young, smart guy. Grew up in the inner city in L.A., And I loved being with him. And John and I were paired together. He was doing it. I just kind of came alongside of him. And we were were with the youth group of kids that were in junior high and senior high. And it was an interesting group. It was all kind of one group. It was probably about 15 or 20 kids. But John, what John would do, he's a college student, but he had had this old beat-up church van. And John would go around early, early Sunday morning, and he would pick up the kids from all over L.A., to get them to youth groups, our Sunday class on Sunday mornings. It was awesome. And John would get up really early because he had to drive all over the place in the inner city to find these kids. And he knew them so that parents, if they had a single parent or if their parent was on drugs, he knew all of that. 
And he would go to the house and he'd knock on the door and if no one opens, he'd, sometimes he'd just open the door, he'd go in, he'd find the kid, the kid would still be sleeping on the floor wherever, he, he'd get him up, he'd help him get dressed, he'd get him into the van, they'd go pick up the next one and half of them had never eaten anything and he'd stop and he'd get some food for them and then he'd bring them, we'd bring them to a group at church and then we'd just play with them and teach them and be with them. It was like unbelievable. But I love this about John and what John would do is John sometimes on Sunday afternoon, he didn't just take them back into the inner city and stuff like that. That's where John grew up, but he didn't just take them and dump them back home and drive off. Every once in a while, he would just like, come on, get in the van. He'd grab all of them, he'd pack them into the van, and he'd drive them to Beverly Hills. And he'd drive the van into Beverly Hills where there's these huge mansion homes and cars because he wanted to give them a different perspective. He wanted to give them hopes and dreams, not just the perspective of what life is in the inner city. There's a more, and not just in a materialistic way, but he was trying to, he's trying to broaden their vision of what life could be for them so much more than living in the squalor of the inner city. We might not think that's a big deal. That's a big deal. I don't know where you came from, but we have so much. Sometimes our dreams are almost accomplished. We can't even think of how much more. Some people need hopes and dreams. Well, we all do, don't we? But some people really need hopes and dreams for them. Lots of people are hoping for something to happen in their life. They'd love a breakthrough in their life. They'd love a breakthrough in their profession. They'd like a job opportunity. They'd like a pay increase. They'd like a recognition of a job well done. They'd like a breakthrough in their financial status, maybe to have their credit card debt cleared, or an upturn in their investment portfolio, or a breakthrough in their relationships. They'd love to have that one relationship that's been going south for years to somehow turn positive and get it back on track in the right way. Or they'd like a breakthrough in their marriage where they could just see eye to eye with their spouse or just get along with their spouse. They'd love a breakthrough in their life. Or they'd like a breakthrough with their kids to have better communication, a sense of caring and community with their kids where people actually loved each other and paid attention and respected one another. They'd like a breakthrough. People want a breakthrough in their life. People want a breakthrough in their life, but rarely are they looking to God to be the one that can provide that breakthrough. And God is in the business of breaking through and providing hope. So wherever you're at today, God's in the business of breaking through. He can break through your life right now. Whatever situation you have, he can bring hope. If it seems hopeless to you, God is all-powerful to bring hope. God breaks through with hope. I love this quote. I don't know where it came from. Hope is putting faith to work when doubting would be easier. Hope is putting faith to work when doubting would be easier. Sometimes hope is hard. Sometimes we have to seem to like muster up to go, God, I'm going to put my hope in you. 
I don't feel like it. I don't get it. I don't whatever. But I am going to put my hope in you. Think God doesn't hear that. Sometimes it's easy for us to treat God like the magic eight ball. Even when we believe in him. We want God to just kind of give us the quick, short version of the answers we want. And that's kind of how we pray and how we relate to God. But God teaches us that his way is a deeper way. His way is a way of confident hope in him. His way is a way that is a lasting way. God has a better plan than just a few quick answers to a few questions that we have. One of my favorite verses in Hebrews 6.19 says this, We have this hope as an anchor for our soul, firm and secure. We have this hope as an anchor for our soul, firm and secure. There's a story that's, that's, that I, that's told that I've read years and years ago, but it's, it's, a, it's a, how in this kind of ancient area in the sea, there were these huge vessels, ships that were trying to get to harbor, and, and they would come across this one area where the barrier reefs and the rocks were huge, and the, the tide was just swelling, and it was very difficult to get the huge ships to harbor, and they had to figure out, how do we, how do we get these giant sea vessels in when all along the rocks all around there are kind of the skeletons of all the former ships that didn't make it. They hadn't figured out how to get there. They had to get to safe harbor. They had to get through this passageway. And so they devised this plan, this one ship, and they, they would take and they would lower down a small boat, a rowboat. And then they would take the anchor and they would place the anchor into the rowboat. And then the rowboat would make its way through the very challenging, narrow channel until it could get to a place where it could drop the anchor, and then the, the big vessel could find its way and be pulled through by dropping its sails and just being pulled right on through the narrows to get to the harbor. What a picture of Jesus. Jesus goes before us, risks everything, gets through all of the dangerous stuff. He is, he is the anchor, and he's just pulling us through. That's who Jesus is. He's the anchor of your soul. He is the anchor of your soul, firm and secure. That's what Scripture tells us. There is no better anchor than Jesus. He wants the best for you. He wants you to trust in Him. He wants you to know with security that you belong to Him and that He's the one that's drawing you to safe harbor in your life. What if God was up to something in your life, something unexpected? What if right now in this Advent season, God is up to something unexpected in your life? I bet he is. I bet that God has something that you don't expect that he wants to do in your life in this Christmas Advent season. But you know, what if that was your desire to find out what is that unexpected thing that God wants to do in and through my life? What if you were to seek him and to pray for it? 
What if you were to look for it and to watch for it? Whatever you were to dream about it, what if you would give your attention to what God wants to do in your life right now? God, I don't know what it is that you want to do. I don't know what that unexpected thing is you want to do. Maybe it's pour more hope into my life. Maybe it's to bring joy. Maybe it's to release me from something that I'm captive to. Maybe it's to deepen friendships and relationships with people. Maybe it's to heal a broken relationship, whatever it is. But God, what are you going to do that's unexpected that I have no idea that you want to do in my life during this season? What if that were to be your prayer today? You think God wouldn't want to hear that prayer from you and to see your attitude and heart looking to him and seeking him for his unexpected movement in your life? hey, why don't you pray with me? God, we don't always know what to expect from you. We rarely do. We admit that. But we do know, God, that when we seek you, we'll find you. We do know that you're the one that brings hope when we're a bit hopeless. And we trust your word today that says you are the anchor of our soul. For some of us who are a little bit adrift today, would you help us to grab on to that anchor in our life? For some of us who are a bit hopeless today, would you strengthen our hope through your word and through your word spoken to us that you are indeed strong and secure and reliable? God, would you bring us unexpected promises into our lives this Advent season because we seek you. And we pray that Jesus would guide us in that path. In his name, amen. This morning we have the opportunity now to give